Is it normally a uh, film podcast where we talk about the new movies weekly, but uh, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentaries or something completely different. And this is something completely different. It's one of our really awesome interviews that we get to do every now and then, where we get a, yeah. a filmmaker on and get to talk with them about you know what it's like to to make a film and put it out there and all that jazz. I I will say that the film that we're talking about today is a film called Fair. Um, which I should have said, asked this spelled, beforehand. It's spelled F-A-R-E. F-A-R-E, as in like I'm picking up a fare for a taxi, right. that kind of thing. Um, and the film, I, ble- <laughs> I, I didn't ask this earlier. It's Is it February 21st? Is that... That's correct. February 21st, the film will be available on what, digital platforms? Correct. Very good. And we'll, we'll repeat that at the end as well. Voodoo, all those. Very cool. Well, we have with us, as you've heard right now we have the director writer and star and producer i believe of fair, pretty much everything and, Cater- and editor editor yeah. <laughs> catering all of it <laughs> yeah. uh, Mr. between T- me and my producing partner justin moretto we pretty much covered it all <laughs> so please welcome mr uh, thomas tory to the podcast how are you doing thomas good guys thanks so much for having me for sure yeah. i will Always uh, great having you on i will uh, i will say up front that i was able to see fair at the newport beach film festival last april um, i was in the, I believe that was the premiere, if I'm not mistaken, correct? World premiere, yes, it was. Yes, I was in the audience. I was happy to, to watch the film. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I stayed for the Q&A, and that, as, as I normally do, I ran off so I could contact Thomas later and uh, ask him if he wanted to be a part of a podcast so we could talk even more about it. And uh, here we are, <laughs> many, yeah. many months later. We have made this work out. Well, no, you've been a big, uh, just early champion, early adopter of the film, so... Uh... It means a lot, you know, when you wrote about it then, and it means a lot to have me on now. So, uh, you know, at this stage of the game and at this stage of my career, which is very early, it's all about, you know, guys like you who just uh, get behind a film and, you know, do their part and tell a few people about it. Well, I'm happy to, especially for a film that, you know, I, I genuinely enjoy and, um, you know, spent the time to write about and what have you. My review can be found on Wise the Blue, which I'll link to in the episode, as well as I'll link to all the fun- various things about fair as far as the site, the trailer and what have you. Um, but uh, I want to start this off by asking, how long did it take you to get here with this film? When did you start putting together the idea for Fair? Um, the early seeds of the idea were August of last year. Sorry, uh, August of 2015. I'm forgetting we're already in. Yeah, we're already in New Year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was uh, August, and uh, I mentioned Justin Moretto, who produced the film with me. Or uh, I mentioned him earlier. We were um, raising money for another film that we thought would be kind of our first film, a bigger film, a sci-fi thriller that we wrote together, and that was taking forever. So, I, uh, you know, if you make enough films and then you've gone enough months without making something, the uh, artist within you sort of has to uh, he erupts at the most inopportune times and just says, "Go make something." And uh, so that's where Fair started. It was in late August, or I should say late late July, I think, was the early idea. And uh, it really was started as sort of an, an exercise of like, hey, could I go shoot something that's not going to distract and take up time from the other film, which I was really deeply involved in prep for and fundraising for. And I knew to do that, I'd have to do something quick and cheap. So um, you would have think I would have try to do a short film or something, but uh, I had done 
so many shorts and just, I, I guess I just wanted the challenge of trying to do a feature for as quickly and cheaply as I've done some of my short films. So it kind of began almost as a test, almost mm. just as a dare to myself. And uh, I, uh, I grew up in the theater uh, as an actor, and I love, I love theater for its its own kind of its own sake as its own art form. And I thought, you know, if I approach a film like a play, I could theoretically shoot it in a weekend for a couple grand. I get a few friends to help, and you know, I mean, you know, you can have a one act play, be one person in a room, and that's a show. So I was sort of like, well, what can I do? That's the film equivalent. And uh, from there, I just started coming up with an idea that we could shoot quickly and cheaply. So I started with a guy, instead of a, being in a room or on a stage, I was like, oh, what if he's in a car? And then who could he pick mm-hmm. up? And then from there, I realized, oh, it'd be cool if he's an Uber driver. That seems like it's a, a new enough idea. It hasn't really been exploited a lot in film. And then I thought, oh, what if he's picking up the guy who's sleeping with his wife? And then from there, I just sort of, you know, the, the, the idea mill starts rolling. And uh, that was a, a weekend. I kind of hashed that out and sort of thought about it, talked to my wife. And I was like, hey, I think I want to write a film to shoot real quick. Talked to Justin, and I said the same thing. And he said we had, a, you know, a, a little bit of money in, the, in our kind of film company bank account. And he said, well, let's, let's write something and shoot it with this sort of seed money we got. And it can be a prototype, you know, at if it fails and it's horrible, then we've spent very little money and we've learned a lot about the process that we can build upon. And maybe it's, if it's good, then it can actually be sort of a, you know, the first film in our slate. So a week later we had a script. So the, 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 this, hmm. the process was very contracted. And honestly, part of that was just, I thought if we shoot it quick enough before we could second guess it, then that's the only way to get this done. Because I've been in this situation before. You get a great idea, and then life happens. You wait too long, and then the momentum fizzles, and you just talk yourself out of it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let that happen. We're going to write a script quick. We're going to shoot it. And I know I've written long enough to know that you don't shoot something you wrote in a week. Uh, you got to take a year, sometimes two years, to really – Fine-tune it, find the voice. Yeah, exactly. So I knew there would be a risk. I said the best version of this material is a year from now. So we're not going to write that. We're not going to shoot that. We're going to shoot this. And uh, it it really – by doing that, I really stripped myself of any pretentiousness or vanity that, you know, uh, any filmmaker is prone to have. And I was just like, we're going to embrace this warts and all. It might suck, and I genuinely was prepared for like a film <laughs> just sucked uh, be- because I saw it as an exercise and a prototype. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know, it didn't take; it wasn't hard to get a cast and crew together because I've worked for a long time in Charlotte, where I live and where we shot there, and have made a lot of friends in the local film community. Have employed a lot of them as a producer and director of like PSAs and commercials and short form for you know, paying clients and uh, was able to call in a lot of favors and get people to work for free and deferred, essentially. And uh, we just put a schedule together that allowed us to shoot fair in three days. Wow. Um, what? But, yeah. So <laughs> That's everything amazing. Um, it, it, if you add up all of the uh, extraneous sort of B-roll and we did sure. a couple of reshoots, you could call it four days. And uh, But it was... We did it on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday in September. So again, I had this idea in August of 2015. We had the script a week later. We were shooting a month after that. 
in September. So it was really protracted, and That's, it was yeah. just That's some great running gun winter. filmmaking. And, oh, it's it's as guerrilla as you can get. I mean, I, I I've read all of the great filmmakers, and I and I feel like I've I've beat them at least. You know, with a three day shoot, we got it in the can for five thousand bucks, and um, oh wow, we it was only a sixty page screenplay, and I was like, we got to stretch this out to like at least seventy minutes to make it a, a feature yeah, film. Yeah, and uh, you know, and and then from there. It, and because of the way we're approaching it, we were able to write a script that goes to some really crazy places. I mean, the, the script takes a lot of creative risks that I was, again, prepared for not to work. And for some people, it doesn't work. The film, by and large, has been so well received. Kind of the, you know, to jump ahead, the great sort of um, uh, full circle uh, outcome is that we made something that is good and it's was able to get in Newport Beach and premiere. And then it was able to play at festivals like South Bay, Charlotte, uh, Cucularis, Push, and Naples. And it has won awards at all those festivals. We won jury awards and audience awards. We've been reviewed by a lot of uh, critics and just gotten some just amazing responses. So a lot of those creative risks we were taking because the film was so small and we were just going to go for it was paying off for us and we, we made something that was bold and risky and uh we got a distribution deal uh random media is our distributor there uh they have an output deal with the orchard which is a sony company mm -hmm. so the orchard will be releasing fair again february 21st on all the digital platforms and uh it's just you know it's kind of been the dream scenario as we've finished the film and toured it on festivals and now it's out for the world and uh, i couldn't be prouder of it i'm so happy with how it came together warts and all i mean it is not a perfect film there's plenty that i would do over again but for what it is and it's sort of this it's my first feature i should say that and uh it's just uh it's a little special film that i'll you know it'll be special forever well, that's a great overview, obviously, of the yeah. of the process, which is what I asked. But um, I obviously I want to back up a bit to get more into like what what what's the what so what's the I, you mentioned it already a bit uh, as far as there's a there's an Uber driver and he picks up some fares. But what so how would you how would you describe the film like well as far as like a a brief plot synopsis for those that obviously aren't as familiar, haven't seen it yet necessarily. Yeah, so I, uh, I refer to it as a thriller, a dark thriller. It's certainly dramatic and. Um it really crosses genres and it plays with genres, it even plays with form itself. Mm -hmm. um, and it's about an Uber driver who finds himself driving the man who's sleeping with his wife. So uh, mm -hmm. our lead character is Eric, which I play. Uh, and uh, the film opens where he's sort of staring at a house across the street. And it, it's implied it's maybe his house. And we come to learn quickly it, it is. And uh, he's, his marriage is long since dead. It's grown cold married 10 years the fire's gone and they're sort of talking about separating and he meets the man who's sort of secretly sleeping with his wife and uh he knows who this man is but the lover does not know who eric is so the the middle 30 minutes the real meat of the film is really this slow burn conversation it's just these two men talking as they're driving around the city um and it's, it's a 30 page scene of just dialogue um go ahead it's interesting because I I watched I watched the film again to just to catch myself up on it because I hadn't seen it since mm -hmm. uh, last April and um, I note I I was I was noting the part where the where Patrick the man who who gets in the cab with or gets in Eric's car I was noting when that happened because I wanted to see how like real time that whole was and 
and, and he, when he gets in the car, he says it's going to take about 30 minutes to get to where his location is. And it's a good, like the film, it, you know, there's, it's all just conversation between the two. There's no real, like, you know, shots of, of just random driving or whatnot. There's no, it seems like no time cuts. So it's basically, it feels like a real time thriller at that point. Was that the, um, was that the idea that it just, everything occurred basically in real time at that, up to that point? Yes. And or, or going, uh, going from there, I guess. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, absolutely. And, um, you know, this is where my theater sort of love and, and background really worked for me because I was like, I got to write a conversation and make it compelling. And it's just 30 pages of a conversation. And we shot that, you know, in real time. I mean, we had three cameras running and we had that all those 30 pages memorized. And I just started driving in real traffic. I'm real, I'm, you know, free driving in real traffic. There's no trailer or anything. Mm -hmm. And, uh, me and JR, the fine actor, we're just going through the scene and, uh, you know, we would do the scene. It would take about 20 to 30 minutes to get through the whole scene in real time. We'd have our three angles because we had three cameras running to shoot it, you know, three small, you know, Canon 5d Mark threes suction mounted around the car. Then we'd uh, restage the cameras, get another three angles, and do the same scene again. And so I, we did that a few times. And after eight hours, I've got that one scene covered, you know, in ten to twelve different angles. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting, this will be the kind of the la last plot point I'll say, just because I don't want to give away where the film goes. But For sure. yeah. he, he, he uh, you know, he does say, yeah, it's about thirty minutes to get you where you need to go. He he takes a detour and uh, he ends up getting the wife involved in the in the car. So this little cat and mouse sort of conversation turns into this sort of dark love triangle. And then from there, the film, uh, goes in, uh, goes in a direction that nobody could foresee. Understandably. I had a few questions about the, uh, uh, driving cause you said you did freelance and what was really interesting is in the beginning, uh, after you leave the house, I was noticing that you had you hit like three green lights in a row because you didn't stop driving. I was like, was that that was just fortuitous, or were there just nobody on the street that day? Uh, are you, like that first scene in that the, first uh, scene where you yeah after you leave the house you sigh and then you just start credits? driving. Yep, yeah, and I was like, he's hitting a lot of green lights. <laughs> it was a combination. Uh, there's a couple stop signs there. Okay. Um, that they uh, it, you see the intersections. They're not actually stoplight intersections. Their uh, stop sign intersections, and um, I, I don't come to a complete stop if you are paying attention. But no, yeah, it. Uh, I don't re recall, but I, I certainly didn't blow through red lights. It, it's right. uh, it's funny, you know, out of all the things that could go wrong, because for we, one of the cameras was hood mounted on the outside of the car, mm -hmm. so it's a, a contraption that's not huge, but it certainly drew a lot of, you know, uh, drew a lot of heads as we drove through downtown Charlotte and people. You know, looking in the window or uh, asking, and and I wasn't always you know aware of where I was. It was hard enough reciting lines and you know keeping track of of where I was in the script, let alone you know where I was in Charlotte. And uh, there there was one section where we're we're recording, uh, we're we're live, you know, filming, and a, and a cop starts tailing me for a few blocks, and I was like, oh no, he's gonna pull me over. I probably you know I was I was afraid I you know maybe drifted across a line or something, but he, uh, I think he was just trying to figure out what the contraptions were. And eventually he pulled off and left us alone. <laughs> so, uh, that was the only, uh, that was the only r run in. And, and before I, you know, did the, uh, driving, I made sure that, uh, it was safe. So we did some practice and test runs and we, uh, we, we spent about a good week of 
full-time prep, which is really how we pulled it off. We didn't just show up and start filming. We, I spent four days with the actors, memorizing the script, working through our performances, making our choices. We did test shoots with my DP and uh, our lighting, made, you know, figured that all out so that on the day all those decisions were made. And that's really what you got to do to pull something like that off. Yes. So we should note the uh, obviously you're talking about the cameras being mounted to the car and what have you, and you know filming while driving. This film takes place almost entirely within the confines of your vehicle. Like there's some shots to set up things, but after you know, it's the movie's just it's all completely in the car. Was that always was that always the idea? That was that was that was my kind of gimmick hook, and I actually I it was I wanted to be intentional about it. There uh, the the film is bookended by two very small shots where the camera is outside the car, right. um, uh, apart from the car. And everything else, 100% of it, the camera is on or inside the car. And even when characters get out and leave the car, and in some cases go a great distance, it was uh, I intentionally did not want to follow them. The camera, we only see someone from the perspective of the car, whether it's from the windshield, the hood, the rear view mirror. Um, we, we get really creative with our angles. We have plenty of angles, which, uh, you know, from the car. My original idea was to do it sort of dash cam style and just have a GoPro on the dash cam. That'd be, that'd be neat too. But I'm glad I didn't because I think that would have gotten so monotonous. Um, and one of the things I love about FAIR is R.C. Walker, our DP, his just amazing cinematography. And uh, I think... I think uh, it was a nice idea, but I don't know if I would have been able to pull that off and have it just sort of not get real tedious. Yeah, you'd, I have think... to, you'd have to make your actors be very very pronounced in their movements or whatnot yeah, to keep things visually and, interesting. Uh, <laughs> at least, yeah, so I wasn't maybe I wasn't confident in my own abilities as a leading actor to <laughs> just have like a single stationary camera. But, um, you know, at, at, for a film that's very claustrophobic and confined entirely to a car, uh, I think, you know, we have a the editing's really kinetic. It doesn't it doesn't feel too uh, sort of claustrophobic. Hopefully, but uh, yeah, that's how we did it. Cool. I've got questions about the uh, the camera. You mentioned that you use Canon uh, 5D Mark Threes. What lenses did you use for your shooting here? Oh man, you, you you'll have to ask my DP. I'm not <laughs> okay. a, I'm not a gearhead, and and, oh. I, and I did, we we had a Mark III. I think we had three different. I think we had a Mark III, a Mark II, and then like a 6D. So okay. we had all Canons, but they were technically uh, maybe two of them were Mark III's. Um, and uh, we uh, RC's got a, a a little collection of uh, you know his own lenses, and you know we had obviously the uh, various focal lengths, but. Uh, if you're asking about Zeiss or Cooks or anything like that, I'm I, yeah, I more than focal lengths. Uh, and if you use just uh, like a handful of lenses, or if you use like the full range, but just curious is is just, uh, just a couple. And um, you know, we had to open them wide up because we're shooting most of the film is at night. At night, too. yeah. So we we knew we we rented an SUV that had a moonroof, and we knew that when we were around Charlotte, there'd be a lot of city lights that would spill into the car and help us. And we did have some LED strips positioned around the interior of the car. Mm -hmm. But um, we don't, we're not always in the city. And so when we're at other locations, we knew we were going to – lighting was going to be key and we were going to have to have lenses that could handle it. And there was a trade-off. I mean, when you open up wide for low lighting, your focal depth becomes really shallow. And right. there, was, there was takes that I 
completely blue because, you know, we, we measured it for one length and I just sort of moved a couple inches and uh, was out of focus for the whole take. So it was, mm. uh, and we weren't able to rack focus. You know, we, we had to just put the cameras up and then um, I said we're in an SUV. So the back trunk of the SUV under a black wrap is our cinematographer and our sound man <laughs> in, in the car the entire time. <laughs> Uh, RC and Jeff. Thankfully, they're brothers, so they're uh, they're comfortable being around <laughs> each other. But RC was on the monitor, and Jeff was uh, recording, and he was on the headphones. But he couldn't, you know, rack focus in real time like you can if you're on a set or just in a bigger shoot. So uh, uh, thankfully, we got enough angles and takes. And uh, and sometimes I just left the out of focus shots in there because, you know, in the spirit of a of a lo-fi gritty indie, it doesn't always look pretty, but uh, it's still kind of endearing. Obviously, you um, <clears throat> have a lot of planning to do before a film like this gets made, just, be, just as you described, just the, the nature of, of filming something like this and having to shoot around town. I'm curious, were there any changes during filming that you kind of had, had to kind of, I mean, it's only three days, a pair, you know, quote unquote, four days, but was there any uh, major changes yet or any changes at all that you had to like kind of adapt for as the process went? We, uh, at the end of day two, so day one went smooth. We got all the all like a lot of the talking city stuff. And then um, the film uh, gets out of the city and goes uh, not too far from where we filmed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember we got really behind day two. And I remember having the thought, what was I thinking that I could possibly film this in three days? I was like, I'm an idiot. Um, and then on day three, we, we caught up. So we, we actually shot everything that we wanted and we shot it pretty close to what was written uh the problem was then in the edit i realized the ending wasn't quite working like our big climax scene i just the original idea I was going for i didn't execute it well while shooting and then that resulted in us just not ultimately having enough footage and um there was some performance issues with all of us i mean we were exhausted and tired and you know and then even some character choices so we actually did we took a few hours, went back out to that location, and reshot the entire climax. And this was before it was, you know, any festival saw or before we even had a cut. We did this, you know, early in the process. And thank God, because uh, I'm so happy with how our big sort of climax end of the film happens and how it came together. But that was really uh, a testament to a, a full night reshoot that we did and um, made some changes there. So that was the big uh, change. If I were to do it again, honestly, I don't know. I, I love uh, what I did. I'm I'm very happy with my performance. It was a blast, and I'm, you know, I challenge myself as an actor. But uh, I, it was also a, exhausting to kind of wear both the acting hat and the directing hat in a film like this. I mean, the character mm -hmm. of Eric is yeah. a very emotionally draining performance, and if I and and I think you know, there were some things that maybe it suffered because of it. There was you know things I couldn't quite. You know, I didn't have the presence of mind to handle because I was jumping around so much. So uh, as far as uh, uh, lessons learned, that might be one of them. I, I love to keep acting, uh, but I'd love to act in other people's films or, or if I'm going to be my own, just a little cameo. <laughs> right. Would you uh, be more in the director's seat, actor's seat, writer's seat, editor's seat next time? I mean, I know that you mentioned uh, maybe just acting in other people's films, but I mean, which uh, which of those hats did you enjoy probably the most? Uh, directing is always sort of the uh, the main love and passion. As I said, I grew up as an actor, 
and that was going to be kind of my artistic focus. And then around high school, that started to shift. And then um, college, before college, I took a few years off between high school and college. And that really solidified kind of the goal to be a filmmaker, to be a uh, writer-director. And um, went to Sarah Lawrence College in New York and studied filmmaking there. And um, really kind of put all my eggs in the, the writer-director basket. I love writing stuff for other people. I love directing stuff that other people have written. I love directing my own stuff. So I, I'd love to do each of those. But, uh, you know, I feel like at my core, I'm a director. Maybe it's just because I like being in control too much. And uh, in this business, <laughs> the director's got all the control. Right. So, uh, but, yeah, but, but, but acting – I enjoy, but it'll always be sort of a side thing for me, you know. Right. I, I, it would be there's a lot of directors who who sort of show up in other people's films, you know, people like you know whatever Ed Burns or John yeah. Favreau, mm -hmm. and um, I'd love that kind of career where I could appear in amazing filmmakers' films and just sort of watch and learn from them while being on their sets in small roles, uh, but really putting my efforts into directing my own stuff. Well, in, in saying that, and obviously you you talked about how you know how the process for this film formed and making kind of expanding from a, a one-act play involving a character to building it out to mul multiple characters were you always planning to be the main character yourself not necessarily it, it uh i think early on though my first idea was yeah maybe maybe it was an early idea hey i'll play the lead character uh, part of it was the joy of it the challenge of it um mm -hmm. i hadn't i thought i could do it and i thought it would be fun but it was also just as equally an economic decision, knowing that we were going to do this really quick for no money. And the only way to do that would be to get really committed actors who would just give me their time and show up. And I knew there's, there's three or four kind of central act, you know, characters. And I knew at least one of them I could remove from that equation by just casting myself. And uh, I actually originally wrote the Patrick character for a, a friend of mine up in New York, a guy I went to college with, and uh, I just thought it'd be a great project. And then, and then I realized, you know, he didn't have the time to fly down early, and I realized we're going to need rehearsals, and we didn't have the money to fly him. So after a while, I was like, we got to cast this locally from guys who, you know, don't need a plane ride and can give me, you know, the week leading up to the shoot. So then uh, I reached out to uh, a couple of the actors I'd worked with in town, and uh, Jr. just loved the project and really uh, fought for it and. He's just an amazing actor and uh, really just just delivers an amazing performance. And Catherine's fantastic. I'd worked with each of them on separate small projects, and um, we kept in touch. And uh, you know, she just did a great job. And just as important, she was just like, "Hey, I'm in. I believe in you. I believe in this. I want to do it." So uh, you know, we had our cast. Well, speaking of the cast, and you do have some strong acting in this film. Um, you have. In addition to Catherine Drew and J.R. Aducci, you have Pat Dorch, who plays the foreigner. Can you can you talk about uh, casting him and the 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 idea behind yes. his character being a foreigner? Because if I'm not mistaken, Pat Dorch is not actually a foreigner. Oh right, right. Uh, so yeah, Pat Dorch. He's uh he's my go-to. Uh, he's just he's a great actor. He's a friend. I'd worked with him before, and um, I told him this, and uh, I said, you know. I'll cast him in everything I do. Uh, he's very versatile. And um, I was actually asking, I wrote it for a, a Scottish guy in Atlanta, an Atlanta actor. And 
and then uh, that guy couldn't do it, and and I was asking Pat, and it's like, hey, do you know any sort of foreign actors? And and then I was like, wait a minute, uh, how's your you know how's your Irish accent? <laughs> So it didn't even occur to me to think about Pat, but uh, you know, right after he auditioned, he sent me a little tape of him, and I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be perfect." And uh, yeah, the foreigners are really key character. So he basically is in the first act. Uh, there's this ten minute conversation. So he's one of the the character Eric's one of his Uber fares uh, in the day, and uh, you don't quite know where he's from. You don't really know what he's about, and uh, he talks and these really lofty philosophical ideas about love and marriage and commitment and um in, in a lot of ways he's a traditional greek chorus I mean, they really sort of set lay a lot of the pipe for the mm -hmm. themes of the film uh you know the film plot wise is about this uber driver but uh thematically it's really about the fight that's required uh to be in a committed relationship it explores love and betrayal and marriage what marriage means and the foreigner character is sort of this ethereal you know perhaps otherworldly type of uh character who just sort of comes in and uh lobs these lofty ideas and questions and and really gets eric sort of starting to think in a different way so that later that night when he picks up uh patrick you know the the lover character uh he's already starting to think in new ways and uh you know he realizes that he first gets the fire lit from within him to maybe begin fighting for a marriage that's long since grown cold and then that inspires him to start fighting for his marriage again and then that internal fight becomes external in some really dramatic ways uh and uh the foreigners are really key key part to the story and really what i was interested in exploring just you know as an artist with that in mind um i'm curious and i understand again you've talked about how, you know you want to develop an idea quickly kind of move it forward and it kind of organically grew from there but was there any uh, specific inspiration as far as other films or other properties that uh kind of helped lead into this film wise there was we, we certainly had references for mm -hmm. um you know shooting in a car we looked at lock which is a great yeah. reference point and you know collateral even taxi driver uh, nightcrawler um uh, drive films that really you know shoot well in a car at night and we're able to drive a lot of artistic inspiration visually. Um, thematically, uh, there's a book called The Screwtape Letters by a well-known writer named C.S. Lewis, who's deceased, and he's known for the Chronicles of Narnia books. Yeah. Uh, he wrote yeah. The Screwtape Letters, which is is actually considered one of his, it's part of his nonfiction kind of collection, although it is sort of a fictionalized series of letters from a, a senior demon to a junior demon. And uh, the junior demon is learning all the ways of sort of treachery and trickery and deception and temptation for humans who are called patients. Uh, and the, the book is a series of letters, and, it, and it's, uh, it's really a quite profound and certainly been influential on my life book about humanity and how it works and really about ourselves and how we're sort of often led into paths and, you know, the, the, where the worst parts of ourselves sort of uh, come up and uh, the, the, there's a few of those chapters talk about marriage and love and so that was inter those were things that I was thinking about as a just as a person who enjoys thinking about these things I'm I'm married you know been married 12 years very happily got an amazing wife and kids but uh, you know I, I, I've certainly not been without my own temptations and, and uh, so these were things that were just interesting to think about and as an artist explore 
Um, and a lot of actually the foreigner character actually quotes from this book, the screw tape letters in mm-hmm. right, that Wormwood. scene. Yeah. He read Wormwood's a character in the screw tape letters. So the, that, uh, from a thematic standpoint, that book, I, I owe a great deck, a great debt to the screw tape letters for, uh, Fair and what's interesting is that was never part of the original idea. The original idea was just uh, honestly to write a, a little compelling genre thriller set in a car about a guy and you know uh, sort of a cheating wife. And then as I started writing, all of these deeper themes started spilling out, and uh, it is it becomes it's you know the result was a very sort of <laughs> layered uh, deep look at marriage and betrayal um and uh you know almost you know it's almost too heavy for a lot of people but and that was not the original idea that's just sort of what came out and i was like well let's just go with it i'm not gonna fight it you know this is this is what uh what's obviously on my heart and mind so let's run with it and uh, what's been awesome is just uh, the response from people i mean a lot of people like it just for the you know the style of the film the gimmicks of the film but a lot of people really were profoundly affected by what it had to say and what it challenged them to look at. I mean, I had uh, so many friends just text me one, two, three, four, five days after seeing the film and just saying, I can't shake this. I'm still thinking about it. I, you know, me and my wife haven't had a conversation this deep about a movie in years. You know, it really made us look at our relationship and in and, and a whole new light. And, uh, you know, what more can you ask for when you're, uh, you know, making a film? For sure. And that's, yeah. <clears throat> I think that's certainly what, um, I, I think the, you know, the, the premise starts out so you know, fairly simple as far as, you know, there's a guy, he's driving an Uber car, uh, then, you know, picks up, he picks up a person that happens to be sleeping with his wife and he moves on from there. I think that kind of, you know, grounding it in a level of reality that makes sense. Um, I think that really, for those that really embrace the kind of the third act change up, um, I think that that's what helps is that you have this kind of, you get where everybody's coming from at that point. So you can kind of move into a, a different sort of direction and, you know, people are willing to go on that ride. Uh, no pun intended. I intended it. I I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, I, I think it, it works for people to embrace it. So I, I, I'm not, I'm not necessarily surprised to hear, you know, there's, there are people that are, that are really responding well to a, to a film like this. I think it does a good job of setting itself up, you know, clearly enough so you can kind of, go a new direction and, you know, kind of run wild. Right. I appreciate that. Thank you. I have, I have some technical questions here. So it took you about three days to shoot. Uh, how long did it take you to edit the movie, and what editing software did you use? Uh, I used the Premiere, the Adobe Premiere Suite. It's nice to uh, – so I learned on Premiere way back in the day, and then I switched to Final Cut, you know, in college and learned again, learned properly. And then, you know, once Final Cut 7 was sort of the end of the road for them, went back to Premiere. So – uh Cut it on Premiere, edit it myself. Um, although I do love editing and I, I do it. I'm actually uh, been doing it today for another project. But mm-hmm. uh, I can't wait to be able to hand off a film <laughs> to a, another editor, a better editor, because um, it's man, it's it can be hard. Um, yeah. Let's see. We we wrapped. I think we shot over September 11th weekend, and I think by Halloween we had we certainly had a, a good rough cut which had been about a month and a half later. Um, and I think we delivered our locked edit maybe around Thanksgiving to our sound designer. So, uh, you know, six to eight weeks to, okay. get our, to get our edit. And then um, we sent it off to L.A. And, uh, you know, I said we shot it for 5,000. We 
spent another 20000 on all the post-production mastering process, which was every dollar was well worth it because uh, we, uh, we, we captured good audio, but we, the, the film sounds amazing. We had an amazing sound design team, and, and Kunal Rajan, our supervising sound editor, really crafted a really amazing sound design. And he's done a ton of features, big, big movies, big shows. Emerald City on NBC, he, he's a sound designer for that movie. He did Jenna Williams. And uh, he really threw. He, he really helped us out and did our project uh, at a you know uh, as a favor really. And um, got a great sound editor and then mixer and then a colorist. Uh, so I flew out to LA end of January. I think February second or first. I flew home from that trip and I flew home with a hard drive that had my completed master locked and loaded, and uh, you know was able to start sending it you know to festivals and uh, really start the process of you know marketing the film and taking a finished product to market and that was that was really the part of the process that i had never really walked through and really why we made the film i've made shorts i haven't made a feature but i've made enough films uh to know a lot about the production side and the post-production side but the film market side was new to me and uh Thank God we made something good enough to get right. to festivals and to get distribution because that was a risk and that's not always the case. You know, we could have we could have botched our sound and would have had nothing to show for it. You know, it's that it can be that simple sometimes. Um, what were yeah. some of the uh, key takeaways that you would say that you would learn from uh, the next time you go and market the movie after everything is all said and done? Um, you noted that it was kind of difficult maybe at at first and maybe some stumbling blocks, but. Uh, what was it that you're going to work on next time? Well, what was really eye-opening um, was the festival process mm-hmm. uh, and uh, selling the film and, and the distribution process. I, it, it, especially if you're if you are used to making short films, the short film festival uh, experience is entirely different than the feature film. And because uh, with shorts, you can just send it to any festival, and it can really you can really have a decent track record, um, uh, you know, a ratio of acceptance to submissions with shorts. Uh, if you approach features the same way, it can be a lesson in frustration um, because festivals are going to accept a lot less features. So the features have to be a lot better. And uh, the, the premiere requirements are a lot more stringent uh, for festivals, uh, for feature films. So you really... Uh, if you're going to make a feature and get into festivals, you really got to start with a strategy. You really got to sort of map out a first, second, third choice for your world premiere, um, and then try to get an in, an in, uh, you know, an in with the festival. I, I, you can cold submit features, and that happens. I'm sure there are a few cold submissions for Sundance or Toronto or Tribeca. But I, the, the, the sad reality is that most features or features that are going to do anything, it really takes uh, advocacy and connections and who you know really to even get into festivals. Um, even Fair, a very small film by comparison that premiered at Newport Beach, which is amazing, but it is not the top tier you know, that Sundance and South By and Tribeca sit at. There's only a few films up you know, up on that. But even with something like uh, Newport Beach, we submitted cold, but then we had, you know, we had uh, everyone I knew, hey, do you know someone at Newport Beach? Oh, yeah, I had a film there before. Oh, cool. Do you know the programmer? Oh, yeah, I think I've got her email. Could you just call them or email them or just put in a good word for us? 
um, that kind of effort, that kind of advocacy is so crucial because uh, programmers are just watching films and there's just nothing to distinguish one film from the next and it becomes like water that they've got to like sort of drink from. So anything you can do that just sort of earmarks a film in their mind can make all of the difference because all of a sudden they watch, you know, oh, I'm going to look at Fair and oh, that's the film that my buddy, you know, Joe recommended. He said, you know, take a look at it. And all of a sudden they're sort of preconditioned for it. All Every single festival we played at, there was some form of active advocacy. Okay. Uh, and, and, and if that's happening on a film like, you know, for fair for these smaller festivals, you better believe that's happening at the bigger festivals. So, uh, you know, we're working on our second film right now. We're actually working with another company uh, to produce it, uh, a company that has made many films and they've got a track record and we're having those conversations about festivals and it really becomes, you know, we're going to aim for this festival and here's how we're going to, make our efforts to get in through these types of relationships. So um, it's, it's definitely a big part of it. The other part is, you know, when you're selling a film, I mean, we, it's easy to get sort of a, sort of the, the bright lights of reading about the Sundance sales, but there's a reason we all know that, you know, a film sold for $10 million at Sundance. It's because it never happens. So it's so rare. Anytime there's a big sale, everyone knows about it. And I, you know, I I was fairly realistic about fair, but I certainly went in with at least early on somewhat of a delusional attitude of like, Oh, we'll get into a big festival and maybe we'll sell it and get some sort of advanced upfront sale fee. And that's such a rare elite thing that really happens only at a few festivals with only a handful of films that we can tend to think that's how it goes. When 99% of deals uh, don't come with upfront advances, they don't happen that way. And uh, it's stuff that not enough, in, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about it because not enough indie filmmakers talk about this side of the business or at this stage. You know, everyone's talking about when they sold it and they got a million bucks or they got their agent or this is that sort of thing. And so the grind of it, the, the hard work and the, uh, the despair and, you know, the fallen expectations, those are real and those are important to kind of learn from. And uh, we had a sales agent who really, you know, set our expectations. He's like, here's realistically what we're, we could probably get. Here's where your film will probably land. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. You know, he, he, he threw some cold water on my uh, right. grand illusion. <laughs> At least he was honest. Exactly, and that uh, helps, though, right? That I mean, yeah. I have to. You're going to a, you know, you have a, you know, for a directorial debut as far as a feature film goes, and you're going into festivals cold, essentially, and you realize you may have got some traction, but you got to know like what kind of things to expect. I got to imagine being told straight up what to expect is more helpful than, like you're saying, having kind of uh, high thoughts on like I have this great movie and right. I did this, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely, and that's why I, I you know like talking about it when I can, because, uh, it's only helpful to sort of deal in reality. And, uh, you know, listen, like I said, fair was such a small project and I was so prepared. I mean, I was genuinely prepared for it to do nothing for it to be rejected. That, that sounds uh, like our podcast. (laughs) 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 This is, you know, it's, uh, you just, if you do what you love, then, uh, it's, you know, Hopefully the audience size, you know, doesn't matter because certainly, you know, fair is, you know, it's maybe, you know, hundreds of people have seen it. You know what I mean? It's not like uh, we're talking 
thousands or millions. And uh, oh yeah, what I talk about, I just lie and say it's a lock prequel, and it really it, it gets people <laughs> gets people motivated to, to get out. Tom Hardy's young brother. They're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. really waiting for that Tom Hardy cameo. Yeah, yeah John Hardy, he's in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you you thought Tom Hardy? No, I said Tom Tory. He's yeah. uh... <laughs> his, you know, that bearded guy from from Charlotte. Right. <laughs> uh, question about shooting in Charlotte. Actually, did you need any sort of special permits, or did because it was such a quick shoot, you were just in and out, and nobody nobody knew or nobody cared? Yeah. So our two our two main locations there was Uptown Charlotte, and then um, Fort Mill, somewhat of the, of the countryside. And uh, Charlotte, I knew because since we were staying in the car, that I I, I knew we were safe. I, I didn't. I didn't like dig in to, to, to technically think, you know, see the what the laws were, but I also knew that cars are personal property, and I was pretty sure we were on the right side of it, knowing we could okay. film in our car and didn't have to worry about it. Um, I filmed in Uptown Charlotte before, and I had to close down sidewalks and get police involved, so I, I knew uh, that we were pretty much okay. Our other location, uh, I did want to get permission because uh, I did want to stop the car and it was a little small road that uh, didn't really go anywhere. And, um, uh, I basically called my town, uh, who I had worked with before in other films. And they said, Oh, that street, that's actually a County street. You have to ask the County. So I called the County and they're like, Oh yeah, that one, I, I think it's a state street. You gotta, you gotta, <laughs> so it actually went all the way up to the state department of transportation. It was just this little email like, Hey, I'm just, <laughs> One night, want to film a little bit, you know, no money, no crew. And uh, finally, you know, got the email back saying, you know, sure, no problem. I, I see no problem, you know, because we weren't going to – we were part of the street. We wasn't going to mess with traffic. Right. So I, I got the email permission, and thank God I did because about uh, two hours into the night over my iPhone, which was doubling as my walkie-talkie, uh, one of my guys said, uh, hey, I got two state troopers with me up the road, and they're wondering what the hell we're doing. So – uh Thank God we could pull out this email where, you know, the State Department of Transportation gave us permission to be there. And they, you know, nodded, turned their cars around and let us be. But, uh, you know, certainly glad we got permission that night. Yeah. So basically just uh, an email for, for aspiring filmmakers. You can just just write emails yeah. and, and get permission. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to know the heart of it. We should, you know, we, we start putting together our screenplay, Abe, about the, the bureaucratic <laughs> process of getting right. the right permits. It's all about that. It's not well, even about the movie that's like being this, made. Yeah, this paper chase where you'd be, you know, state and then county and then back to county and back to state and then all yeah. of a sudden a city or something like that. It's like, what is going on here? But I mean, uh, I, I mean, I've shot in a lot of locations where, you, you know, it's mostly the only time you're dealing with permits is on, yeah, those where it's really like a, a, a judicial type of, you know, whether it's a state or a town, and it's something that's a little more public, uh, and uh, there's forms and permissions and and a lot of rules, and that can be a headache. But most locations are private, and you can just, you know, get a business owner or homeowner or a property owner just to agree or, you know, maybe make a, a give them a location fee. But uh, you know, it doesn't you don't need to overthink it. If you just get permission, and certainly if it's in writing, you know that'll help when those state troopers show up and say, "What are you doing here on this you know quiet road in the middle of the night?" We were it, there happened to be a nuclear plant or something uh, oh. nearby, and uh, the the uh, I run into that problem all the time. Yeah, well, the security <laughs> guard saw this commotion not far, and, and so he called the cops. He was just sort of like. 
what's going on out there? So uh, <laughs> that's why they were summoned, because certainly. And then, they, and then they saw your your uh, your actor lying in the middle of the road, and they're like, "What is really going on out here?" Yeah. <laughs> that's when the script changed. That's when the third act became the new thing that he was. Talking yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Inspiration in all places. You know, yeah. I don't I don't want to delve too far into what goes on in the third act because I would like audiences to be surprised and what have you. But were there? Um, I'll just tread lightly. Did you have stuntmen involved in the? Uh... In the, in the final bit in any way or was it no. just other actors that you had or crew uh, yeah no 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 stuntmen um everyone you see is played by the people they are i you know there a few more characters are introduced and um you know they uh everyone uh was friends of mine you know buddies and justin himself our, our producer justin moretto he uh, appears. He actually appears a couple times in the film uh, in very small, fleeting roles, and uh, yeah, we uh, we had a lot of fun shooting that ending. And uh, but uh, no, we we you know it's fun. Uh, yeah, like you said, tried not to uh, yeah too I'm much right. away, but uh, right. it was it was fun. Really, kind of uh, you know doing the things we did and uh, just you know we just completed them really easily. You know, there's no no stunts or no special effects. It's just sort of old fashioned kind of filmmaking. So very cool. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, so you've, I mean, you've been to a few festivals. How, where have you, uh, where have you been able to travel, um, and doing all this? Well, we've, we've, we've stayed within the States. Uh, so premiered in, at Newport beach, we played up in LA and then it's, it's been on the East coast. Uh, it's played in uh, Georgia, Naples, Florida, around the Southeast. Uh, we got invited actually recently to submit to uh, a Brazilian film festival. So uh, we were invited to submit. So I guess they still have to review it. But uh, that I, I would love to uh, to get some international uh, audience for it. We uh, we were invited to uh, a South Carolina festival, which will be at right before its release. So February 19th, Fair will premiere in Beaufort, South Carolina at the Beaufort Film Festival, which is a great regional um sort of small town very artistic community film festival and uh it's um charlotte north carolina is a border city so uh it's border south carolina and actually my house i live in on the south carolina side so and and most of fair was shot in charlotte but a good part of it is shot across the border so it's as much of a south carolina film as it is a north carolina film and uh, this will be our south carolina premiere so that's kind of fun as a South Carolina resident. So, um, fair will sort of wrap up next month and Beaufort on the 19th. And then the 21st will be its digital, digital release and, um, all the digital platforms you'll get to, uh, rent it on. And, uh, we're still waiting to see what streaming options we'll have. I'm told by the distributor, we'll find out, you know, a few weeks before. So if it's on a Netflix or Hulu, or Amazon Prime, that'll happen. You know, we'll find that out um, later. But, you know, fairmovie.com is our website. So if everyone can just go there and follow us on social media uh, and really just sort of, you know, rent the film or watch it when it comes out and then just, you know, tweet it and share it. And, uh, you know, at this point, it's just about building your audience. And, That's uh, absolutely correct. Yeah. yeah. In, in a few months, hopefully, we'll be on to the next one, diving into uh, our second film. So Nice. And, you know, just in terms of uh, advice for aspiring filmmakers out there, what would you tell them? Oh, man. Uh, you know, if uh, 
if you're anything like me, you kind of just can get bogged down with your own ideas of like, oh, I want to make this. Oh, I'm going to make this. And I wrote three different screenplays. Each one was going to be my first sort of directed feature. And none of those were fair. It, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and fair really kind of just came together so quick. Uh, and so I would just say don't get bogged down kind of by your great idea, your big idea. Uh, and don't feel like you have to have a big idea to make a feature. Fair is as small as it gets. And uh, if you're going to do something small, then make it bold, ballsy, and have a voice. Uh, I remember I knew that sort of intuitively, and I remember hearing that uh, in inner, you know, other filmmakers talking about, or even like distributors and festivals. What is what's the one the main thing you look for? And they're like, you know what? We just want to see films that have a voice, that have something to say, that are compelling. Because it's just, it's not enough to make a film. It's just, you know, if it's boring or just is the same old or derivative. Uh, and uh, if you can't take the creative risks and, um, you know, explore something really compelling on the no budget movies like Fair, then, you know, when will you? So, <laughs> you know, that would be the advice. Have something to say. Be bold about saying it. Find a compelling way to do it and uh, just go make something. Don't worry about production design. Don't worry about having it look amazing. Uh, you know, just get competent, competent camera work, competent sound work. Uh, that's a big thing. I mean, eight out of ten festival films are rejected because of bad sound or something like that. Someone was telling me. So that's a, a crucial part of the process. Uh, you know, get those basics sure, right. Yeah, you don't want to. You know, the programmers. You know, looking at all these films, they don't want to put their headphones on and be like, "This is this is making me bleed." Like, I don't. You don't. <laughs> you want to. You want to get a movie that sounds yeah. right. Right. I think it's easy to just to get to feel like you, you got to produce work that makes that re represents yourself as like some great artist that can shoot these amazing things or a great action scene. And, and if you love it, that's awesome. And I love film. And I, it's it's enough to make an action scene for its own sake. But, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, if you really want to be an artist and be a person of influence, make films, then, you know, you gotta have something to say and you gotta, you know, you understand the art form to kind of, uh, you know, reckon with it. Well, and it, you, can, you can do that with any, any type of production. I should note my, my lovely girlfriend, she is one of the programmers at the Newport Beach Film Festival. And she tells me about how it, you know, it is, it is challenging to see a lot of, you know, kind of, bad films or what have you and find yeah. you know diamonds in the rough and everything so you know it's it, it's good to hear about these stories from filmmakers such as yourself who you know find their way to you know make it through the uh make it behind the curtain essentially and, and get yeah. get in there and get one step closer to you know finding some kind of success when you put so much passion and energy into a project cool. what's her name i, I know I've, I've gotten to know a couple of the newport programmers her name's Anna Bosch. Uh, she okay. does uh she does she does the shorts more specifically but uh yeah she's certainly a big part of the film festival yeah, I got to know a few mm -hmm. programmers over there, and uh, it's I can't wait to go back um, with other films because that's a it's a fun festival. Well, you mentioned uh, you're working on a, another project now with uh, with um, your producer again with Justin. Am I, yeah. am I correct? Is uh, I I'm sure you probably don't want to tell too far into it right now, but is there a, is it a, a certain genre that you can say or? Uh, it is a very cerebral sci-fi thriller. Um, mm. Justin is a scientist. He's the, that's his background. That's his field. And um, he's been, uh, I sort of pulled him, for, uh, not, not away from that, he still works in science, but uh, he's helped me, you know, start a film company. And, and uh, early on, before the film company, he helped me write this sci-fi screenplay. We wrote 
this thriller. It's called Premise. We wrote it together. It's a neuroscience thriller about a scientist who fragments his consciousness into multiple states. Sort of a interesting. Sort of a Jekyll and Hyde idea, but there's like ten of them, and and, uh, it really explores uh, time and memory and consciousness and how the three work together. Very cerebral, very heady, and um, also a similarly constrained production. It's a couple characters, a couple locations. Uh, Like I said, I wrote it in 2013 for that to be my first feature, so I kind of designed it to be sort of small. Um, It's uh, We've actually, we're producing it with Relic Pictures uh, of New York City, and Relic is a great production company with a long track record. They've done some really great uh, indie films like uh, James White, Katie Says Goodbye, uh, and uh, The Strange Ones is one of their films that's going to be premiering, uh, their latest film premiering this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's South by Southwest. Um, and uh, and then Premise will be their next production. We'll be diving into that hopefully the summer. Uh, they're kind of taking this lead with financing and packaging because they have those relationships. So we're really excited to kind of get a real budget with a, a real schedule and a real, you know, uh, bigger cast and crew. And, well, given, uh, given the affair was more of the, you know, let's put something together, I got an idea, let's shoot it quick and all that. This is this is more along the lines of what you were talking about earlier, where it's, you know, this is a film that I think you'd probably, what, you put the you put the year, the two years into the screenplay and everything to get things kind of sorted out and under control? Yeah, well, four years in the screenplay. Four we're years, still, yeah. We're still tweaking it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, hopefully, I, I wish we uh, were, it's only getting better and better. And um, I, uh, I'm producing that. I, I wrote it with Justin. I probably want to end up directing it actually. Um, hmm. And, uh, but we're excited to be uh, getting that off the ground and, uh, and, you know, have that coming out 2018. All right. Well, uh, last, a couple questions I have. Uh, this one's a little silly. Was it your car in the, uh, in the movie? Your no, we, we, we actually, one of the few things we spent money on was that car. We rented it. We uh, yeah. just rented it from, you know, a car rental place because we wanted a, uh, the moonroof was important. We needed an SUV so that our sound and camera guy could be in the car with us. And we wanted one with a moonroof so we could have a, a glass surface in the middle of the car to, to suction mount the cameras to and mm-hmm. so that extra light could come in the car. So uh, we didn't know anyone who had one of those. Uh, so we ended up having to rent it. That's more. Did what you know? Yeah, I guess I know. I know you. I know you mentioned that earlier that you got it. I, I was more of like, was it as in the production team's car? You rented a car, so you rented a car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. knew that it was a rental car because of the sticker when your head is leaning on it in the opening shot. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like that. It's like the Hertz or Enterprise rental car. Like, find out more. Scan here. Oh, we, can recruit, we, can, we can create new, new fan fan theories then that Eric actually <laughs> stole the car. He's not a real Uber driver. That's right. <laughs> we never see an ad go off. <laughs> well, we never specify that it's Uber. It's just That's some true. unnamed rideshare mm-hmm. service. So. We, we don't know what they have in Charlotte. It could be something crazy we don't even know about yet. Hey, maybe Hertz is getting into rideshare driving. That's right. There, there you go. There you travel. When you're traveling, you need extra money. You can rent a car from Hertz and rent it out to and use it as a taxi cab to make money. That's not a bad idea. Let's pre- let's all the three of us will get together. We'll pitch this idea. We'll make this work. <laughs> Abe, do you have any more uh, questions for? No, I I, gener- I definitely love the uh, the advice that you gave to aspiring filmmakers of just hey, it doesn't take. You don't have to you don't have to move a mountain the first time around. You know, just start small, start local, 
And I, I was really literally blown away by your uh, production budget in the can, $5,000, and your shooting schedule of three days. So, again, people can do it. If people watch this movie, I, again, I was not expecting three-day shoot turnaround time. There's uh, no excuse. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. So weekend. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely blown away by that. And again, when you watch the movie, it doesn't look like it's five thousand dollars or or uh, uh, you know three day shoot. Again, uh, technology is pretty amazing now. So thank you for that insight. <laughs> it looks nicer than El Mariachi. That's for sure. It's a, it's a good looking movie <laughs> yeah. for sure. Even that, yeah, I think even that one cost more than five thousand dollars, right? Yeah, that was seven this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and he like, had to like sell his car. <laughs> You'd give blood and all that. Eat, eat, <laughs> eat that, Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Abe and I, we just recorded this epic three-hour show talking about our, our top ten films of, of last year. Did you uh, get around to the cinema much while you were kind of touring this film around? Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a you know a film geek like the rest of us, and uh, so I uh, there's still a few left for the year that I haven't seen yet, but I keep I keep a running list. Um, any favorites you want to mention? Sure. I haven't, I haven't ordered them quite yet. You know, I like to do that sort of after I've sat with them, but, um, we'll, we'll get you back on when you have it all ordered, but (laughs) the the, the films that are kind of hovering around, I think Heller High Water was one I loved. I saw, I've seen three times now. I think it's a a great film. Arrival. I love smart sci-fi and emotional sci-fi and that's Arrival is just a great example of that. Manchester by the Sea was one of those films that really stuck with me for days after I saw it. That's Midnight Special, Nocturnal Animals, uh, Fences I saw recently. Thought that was great. Um, I saw yeah. Don't Breathe as far as like a great oh, yeah. kind of horror yeah. film. That was a great film. Uh, Sing Street was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, so uh, those are some of my favorites. I think Hell or High Water or Arrival might end up being my number one unless something can supplant it and i certainly i haven't yet seen uh, there's plenty i haven't seen yet what about you it's gonna be the bye-bye man oh god yeah. i uh <laughs> i just saw that what about you? <laughs> uh, oh, well we just did our, our list and uh, manchester by the sea was uh, my my uh, most liked film from last year but all the things that you named were also on my list uh save for maybe nocturnal animals but I also definitely loved Hell or High Water quite a lot. We both uh, we yeah. both uh, wanted to champion Midnight Special a lot too early on from uh, from last year. That was a that's a great one. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. a big Jim I'm a big Jim Jarmusch fan, so uh, Patterson made by uh, was number one on my list. I, I really I really yeah. enjoyed that film. Um, but yeah, Hell or High Water is a great one. Like you said, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the ones you named were were certainly high on high on ours uh, all around. A lot of good ones. A lot of good ones coming out. Sure, especially this time of year, you can kind of go back and just kind of rattle off a bunch of films that are all generally really good. Yeah, I still haven't seen uh, Moonlight, Silence. There's a couple, you know, I just I got to make sure to see before I can kind of complete the list. Cretia here is really amazing. Haven't seen that one yet. That's on Amazon too. That's a, that's one I want to catch up on for sure. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think uh, it's been a nice year, and I think it's going to be a great 2017 as far as movies. For sure. Well, uh, Thomas, thank you very much for talking about FAIR. Thank you, Thomas, for being on and, uh, yeah, talking to us about the ins and outs, the details. You got it, guys. Like I said, thanks so much for the support and having me on. And um, FAIRmovie.com is where people should go to find out more. And, uh, you know, after February 21st, rent it on iTunes or Amazon and uh, just share it with a friend and, uh, you know, help us uh, build our audience. Very, very good. Absolutely. We'll be definitely, uh, you know, talking to our audience about it as well and, and uh, spreading your word. That's 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 uh, all I can ask, man. Appreciate it.
All right, so this has been one of, one of our uh, special bonus episodes where we were able to interview Thomas Torrey about his film Fair. Um, of course, as he said, you can find the movie at fairmovie.com. It'll be available February 21st online, and uh, yeah, we'll be uh, uh, sure to provide links and what have you in the show notes for this episode and put it on our uh, Facebook page and all that. Um, so yeah, but that's going to do it for this uh, special interview episode. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. My rabbit's running. Street hot heels and home. My hour's coming to reconcile with. City